Well, hello, kids, and welcome to part two of our extended interview with opinion writer David Mosscrop. We're sorry for the delay in getting this to you. Life threw us a couple of curveballs, but you've waited patiently, and trust me, you will not be disappointed. We have some good stuff for you. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy part two of our interview with David Mosscrop. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because in our first episode when we were giving the lay of the land, uh, you know, of the the seven parties that will be in the headlines, we grouped the three conservative parties together because my theory was is that we could see a 1993 situation again where the bottom can fall out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they got to watch that. And and you know, it's funny is it's given me an appreciation the more I learn about this, of Stephen Harper, and I say that. Mm-hmm. I, I say that, quali- that, that I say that in a qualified way, mm-hmm. but by appreciation, I mean I, I sort of understand the authoritarian tendencies of Stephen Harper <laughs> right. to try to manage this menagerie. And, I just tweeted something about that yesterday. Right? He's like, how do you ma- how do you keep these people together, especially the loons? And there's so and many of them because, in that party. Well, it, it's true. And you look, I spend time with conservatives. So do I. Uh, you know, I, I happen to like, and one of the things that really pisses me off about the left is I'm, I'm a socialist, but socialist left mm-hmm. is me I too. sometimes get flack for talking to these folks or being friends with them even. That and I just happen. resent that so much. I just have no time for that at all. Mm-hmm. And Neither it's one do I. That's that not okay. pisses me off the most. And, and, uh, and, you know, there are conservative MPs who I genuinely like spending time with. And they're often not the people that folks think they are because everyone assumes yes. they're all the same. Mm-hmm. And yet that party mm-hmm. has a lot. I'm not defending this party. I don't vote conservative. I never mm-hmm. will. I don't want to see him win. Mm-hmm. But the, if we're, if we're being intellectually honest and nuanced, the mm-hmm. party is way more complicated than people. Mm-hmm. Think. Yes. Well, I, and, I have, I have friends who are in peace. And Stephen Harper put a lid on a lot of stuff. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. if you look at the Harper years and abortion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, you know, I, you know, who knows why he did it, right? There's lots of, maybe it was for cynical, probably it's for cynical reasons. Maybe it was for principled reasons, but he put a lid on it. And, but, he, but he gave them the same thing that George Bush gave them about, uh, you know, for, for international aid, not funding any programs. But then he, yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. And then there were, there were all kinds of things to criticize Harper for in that way. Right. But there are moments where there were things that genuinely he, he did that would have been tough to control in that caucus. But that were ultimately the right decision. I mean, I'm I'm not defending the Harper years. I'm the last person who will. But I mean, if if we're looking at the record in a, in a whole way to try to understand how you manage the caucus, there was there was all kinds of stuff like that. And I think a lot of the weakness since then that you see with Andrew Shear or Aaron mm-hmm. O'Toole is that they can't they haven't been able to manage the caucus the same way. Well, they're no. not leaders. They're not leaders. Yeah. Neither no. one of them. And, well, and, and, no, no, they're, they're they're both like next carbon copies of the same thing. Yes. But just not as good. Well, and, and you're right to say that, David. Let's give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. Um, Harper did keep it under control. He did not walk back gay marriage. He did not walk back abortion. I, I, I have to respect that. And mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of his politics. Now, I had uh, friends who worked directly for the man, and we're still friends. My buddy's wife is a member of parliament. She's a conservative member for Calgary. Wonderful person. Good friend. I've known her for almost 20 years. So we'll meet, we'll bump into one another and have a wonderful conversation because at the end of the day, we're still human beings and she's just exactly. doing her job. And everybody who knows me knows I'm very left-leaning, very democratic socialist. It's like, let's increase, let's, let's come up with the UBI, right? But mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I, I, like, 
I'm not going to eliminate these people as my friends because they're still my friends, number one. And number two, none of them are Nazis. So, yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. right? <laughs> there are lines I draw. There are, you know, uh, there are certain, there are people that I would not want to be palling around with in that right. party. <laughs> right, yes. And they wouldn't want to be palling around with me. But, you know, I do a, a, a Zoom happy hour uh, with Mike Lake, uh, who, who's an MP oh, in Alberta. He's a good guy. And I, I really like Mike. And we met because I said something uncharitable about him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And he replied and said, you don't know anything. <laughs> you don't know me. What are you talking about? And I was like, you know what? I don't. Yes. And I apologize. Oh, and cool. we met for coffee in Ottawa back in, in the pre-Panini times when you could do that. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we uh, got along really well talking about hockey. And uh, he wouldn't mind me telling the story. And I now attend uh, from time to time his Zoom happy hour. And I genuinely enjoy spending time with, with these folks mm-hmm. and I learn things and I make a human connection mm-hmm. and I just resent anybody who wants to prevent me from doing that. And I will not give it up. It doesn't mm-hmm. change my socialism. It doesn't no. change what I stand for. In fact, it probably makes it even better Yes, and enhances it. And, uh, and that's a huge part of it. And again, it's like the emotional disconnect between wanting to connect with human beings as human beings and understand where they're coming from and understand them and being told that, Oh no, that's, it makes you a bad socialist. It makes you a bad person No, is, is stunning to me. And, and I just have no time for it. So, well, we have to, I mean, these are parliamentarians. We have to work with them. They're elected officials. Ooh. We need to work with them. So, so just eliminating them together altogether as human beings is just beyond ridiculous. And that is kind of, Oh, what what would we say nazism in and of itself well i think i mean like i, I don't know what i know that's a harsh is. word but you know no but i mean like i don't know if you know i i am constantly saying that look we need to defeat these these folks yes we need to there's, there's people who are saying ridiculous things that need to be shouted down there are dangerous policies that we need to to resist mm-hmm. that um, parliament is is one avenue for doing politics but our politics should be much more uh, focused on protest direct action mm-hmm. civil disobedience in many cases participatory mm-hmm. democratic mechanism all of these kinds of things but that that doesn't preclude building relationships with people who with whom you have some overlapping values or interests or concerns right and you know when i talk about things I sort of admire about certain parliamentarians who, who happen to be conservative, it's often like community building. Yeah, I think there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a real common interest that's shared across parties that we don't talk about nearly enough, and it's community. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a kind of weird socialism, <laughs> sort of market <laughs> socialist, uh, communitarian, which isn't maybe as weird as you think, but I, I deeply believe in, in self-government and the power of collective self-government and mm-hmm. participation. Mm-hmm. I believe in deep community ties and communities as being fundamental constituent elements of a democracy. That It's hard to atomize people, which is what liberalism tends to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the reason I'm a socialist is I think liberalism is too atomizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I t- one of the things I connect with a lot of conservatives over is the uh, importance and value of community. And how that's being torn apart. And the, and the case I try to make to them almost all the time is that their understanding of capitalism uh, doesn't account for the fact that it tears communities apart. 
right and mm-hmm. you know where people can live where they work whether or not they can get to the day whether they have time to to marry and have kids and so on and so forth you know and 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 some of the work i try to do in talking to conservatives is connect this idea of economic liberation and community building i can't do that if i'm standing on the side of the road just saying hey asshole yeah. <laughs> burn yeah. in hell yeah like, what, what good that what, i mean what, what's that for it's performative well, it, twitter it's, nonsense it certainly makes the person who you just said that to totally prepared to be receptive yeah to they're just going to shut that's down completely the way but like yeah i'm much more interested and, and look there are going to be there there's going to be people who do that and in some cases for very good reason and i'm not saying don't you know it, mm-hmm. there's I, I place that, that's their thing but for me I, i'm trying i've got a different project and, and i think it's an important one and i think we can have a kind of ecumenical deep understanding of of what builds community and what doesn't and then build a politics around that and you're not going to do that by just slagging people off all day well you know it's it's the uh let's face it the the current crop of conservatives uh, a great number of them are not conservatives at all they're not progressive and they're not conservative they're simply reformers by another name yeah and they've done like we had we just talked about a great deal of damage to that party this mm-hmm. is not the party of Brian Mulroney or Joe Clark. Not even close. Like, not even in the same atmosphere. I mean, it, it's just so completely gone to a bizarre area. It's, it's, in some cases, it's right. And in other cases, it's just downright insane. And it just frustrates think, me. How do you think the, an Aaron O'Toole government or an Andrew Scheer government or even a Stephen Harper government would have dealt with the Vietnamese refugee crisis of the late 1970s. Yeah. I mean, Joe Clark dealt with it in one way. I suspect it would have been very different. And in fact, mm. if we look at the Harper years uh-huh. and refugee policy, we see mm-hmm. that it was dealt with in a very different way uh, mm-hmm. in a deeply problematic, xenophobic, mm-hmm. uh, fundamentally racist way. Yes. And I have no problem saying that. And uh, it has Ooh. gotten a little bit better under the liberals, but not sufficiently better. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a deep state problem not deep state from a deep it, yes. comma state yes. problem. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> be very careful. Uh, <laughs> to you got to really emphasize the comma if you're going to put yes. that together. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and it has it is an ongoing problem and one of the shames of this country and the shames of the world that we're failing Syrian refugees and have largely forgotten about them. Mm-hmm. And and yet it's it's so to say. Well, could you see that in a conservative government today? And if, if not, why not? Uh, and what does that mean? And I think that's a serious, it presents a serious threat. And I mean, I don't know. I, I would imagine that, that we're more polarized now than we were. I hadn't seen the latest data, uh, you know, 30 years ago, almost certainly mm-hmm. at the parliamentary level, it seems like it. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that polarization is going to get worse. I'm afraid and, you're right. You know, I, I, I'm ambivalent because on the one hand, polarization is good because i want a distinction between i don't want this sort of like mushy middle liberalism i want a left in fact i'd like to see a socialist left i'd like to see the ndp be the socialist left Mm -hmm. uh and and liberals because you know right now i think one of the big problems in canada is that every party is too liberal small l including the ndp Mm -hmm. so i want to see polarization i don't want to see a toxic polarization that hurts people though right and, mm-hmm. and one of the, the biggest struggles that I've had for a very long time, and I still have it now, is that I was growing up, you know, poor, 
with a single mom and a brother in, in Mike Harris's Ontario mm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes some think, mm-hmm. could we yeah. have had a more cooperative, competent left that would have made my life at that time more bearable and, and better yep. and, and probably you know forestalled some of the suffering and trauma that I lived through in those years? Mm-hmm. But then again, does that just mean, okay, well, we're all just going to suffer a little for, or, or a medium amount indefinitely? <laughs> yeah. or, do we, or do we need that polarization by hook or by crook to have a sharp break and remake things, right? And this is part of the reason where I struggle with, with ideas of, of, of massive social upheaval and revolution, which I don't really think of myself as a, as a revolutionary. I want to transform institutions, but I'm also very weary about how we do that because often upheaval and transformation leaves institutions worse off. Although sometimes they're so fundamentally broken, racist, white supremacist, patriarchal, that they seem unsalvageable. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I mm-hmm. still, I'm, I'm 37 now, mm-hmm. uh, slightly too young for AstraZeneca, sadly. <laughs> and I, I still haven't sorted that question out. And it's, uh, you know, something I struggle with all the time. And, and even in the Canadian context, and I, I, I still don't know. I often defer to, to you know, critical race theorists, radical mm-hmm. feminist scholars, and so on on this sort of thing because they come at it from a very different perspective than, than I do and, and often have, uh, you know, they're, they're closer to, to the fundamental consequences of that. Mm-hmm. But thinking back to my own experiences growing up in this province, which was awful, like truly, truly deeply awful, mm-hmm. I don't know what would have been better at that time. And this seems like a good time for a commercial. We'll be right back after the break. Hello, kids. It's Mr. Grizzly, your friendly neighborhood grizzly bear, who is asking you how much you like this program. And I'm asking you if, well, you like this show, you like what you hear, and we're happy to do this for you, if you'd be willing to, you know, throw us a couple of bucks as a tip. And the reason we do this, with the reason we ask this question is because there are some production costs involved. We're happy to give this to you, but, you know, feel free to send us a couple of dollars over uh, coffee.com. And now, the website is ko-fi.com backslash eager beaver. Dollar, two dollars, fifty cents, whatever, whatever you can spare. It helps us with our production costs. Mr. Beaver, that's right, Mr. Grizzly. The amount that we have recommended on the coffee site is $3, but it can indeed be anything that you want. Uh, buy Mr. Grizzly a cup of coffee or me a cup of hot chocolate, because after all, you are what you drink. We want you to know that we will be using these tips in part to invest in improving the quality of the show for you. We are looking to get better equipment, better sound, perhaps at a later date, correspondence, a web presence, maybe even filming for YouTube. The possibilities are endless. The show will grow with your support and encouragement, and your support and encouragement is always profoundly appreciated. If you would like to leave us a tip, again, the web address is coffee.com backslash eager beaver. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com backslash eager beaver. Thank you again. 
Well, and, and it's it's sad but true that, uh, and I didn't know at the time the cuts he made to social programs, to health care. I didn't know. I mean, <laughs> we still yeah. have, we haven't, uh, since su- successive uh, Dalton McGinty liberal governments and then and, and our, our short, uh, short term after he stepped down with, oh, I'm drawing a blank. I see her face, but I can't think of her name. Wins. Thank you. Kathleen Wynn. Kathleen Wynn, thank you. I drew a blank there for a second. Uh, um, we still haven't recovered to the levels pre-Mike Harris for the cuts that he made, right? And Ford for, made more. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah. yeah, He cut how much from the health care budget just before a pandemic? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you, you, you were saying earlier that, you know, because you brought him up, uh, that he, he made you hit your point, and I'm guessing that's what led to the editorial. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so you know what it was? It was the press conference that mm-hmm. I, I hope will live in infamy. I watched it and I, that was, I was disgusted. Disaster. I was stunned. Yeah. I was stunned. It reminded me of, you know, that, I don't know if folks watched the thick of it. It's this point where Malcolm's listening to, to Nicola Murray on the radio. And he's like, it's a cl- like a clown running across a minefield. <laughs> and that's all I could think of. And I, I was so mad. I'm I mean, hearing the genuinely music. like, anger i have to i have to really control a a big part of my contemporary adult life is sort of sublimating a lot of my and controlling a lot of the anger and frustration and rage Mm -hmm. that that swells Mm -hmm. up when i see injustice i mean i get Mm -hmm. i get deeply 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 angry when i was younger i didn't know how to how to how to harness that i didn't know how to direct it Mm -hmm. and i it usually would result in like me um well, in, in like elementary school, it would have been like being a bit of a bully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and in high school, I got a good, uh, a decent control on it. But then it would result in me like back talking teachers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was never like by the time I reached high school, it was never physical. Like I was never, it was never violent. But yeah. it was, like, I would say, really, you know, inappropriate, nasty things. Lippy. Mm-hmm. Lippy. Because I would say. just be like, who the fuck do you think you are? You know, and I would, mm-hmm. you know, and or I would talk back or I would you want to push back. And this was always against this was always punching up. I mean, one of the things I look back mm-hmm. on in my life. Yes. And I'm actually proud of is it was it was always punching up. Never punched <laughs> yeah. down. Never. It was never punching. Up. Like that was one of the things that that I, I think my my family, my mother, my father uh, you did did a great job instilling in me was this sense of like, don't be. A bully, mm-hmm. you know. When I was, when I was, because my parents divorced young, I was trying to sort out the world, and you know, like playground kids push each other, and so on and so forth. But like later, you learn to like, okay, don't be a bully. And, and to this day, when I'm writing and and doing political coverage, I, I that is a one of my fundamental principles. Whenever I come even close to violating it, I'm deeply ashamed. But I was watching this, and I was deeply, deeply, deeply angry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my outlet for my anger is my writing. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and social brother. How many? I'm, I'm just <laughs> curious. How many edits did it take before you finally had a column yeah. put together? Well, but here's the thing. I so I watch this thing, and I'm deeply, deeply angry. And I'm watching everybody else online who are also deeply angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're having this collective feeling of frustration and anger and outrage, yeah. and we're tired and we're scared and we're upset. And I wrote my editor and said, uh, sort of Friday afternoon, said, I know I'm supposed to write about the federal budget on Monday. I'm supposed to start my vacation instantly as well, but I think I've got something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how mm-hmm. about 
I write this Doug, Doug Ford should resign piece because I truly believe it. And I think there's a moment here. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, sure, I can have a look on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I sat down Friday yeah. night at, I don't know, one in the morning, something like that, and just wrote it in about 30 minutes, maybe 40, 30, between 30 and 45 minutes. Wow. And I read it over once. The the majority of the time went into finding the links to to support the claims I was making. So right. I mean, most of them, the the writing of an op ed for me is really or a column is really fast. I sit down and write eight hundred words in twenty minutes. That's easy. The mm-hmm. hard part is fact checking and yeah. and citing because right. you got to yeah. find links. So that was the majority of the time. So I just wrote it because I was outraged, and I didn't edit it at all. There were almost no edits. Oh, wow. The only edits. Yeah that happened happened yes. the, the next day where I changed Doug Ford should resign to Doug Ford must resign. Right. Uh-huh. And my editor took out a paragraph. I saw uh, that on Twitter, which, which I posted later on Twitter <laughs> and uh, where I talked about, we shouldn't forget Doug Ford. In fact, we should build a statue of him in white and paint it red to remind us of the blood he has on his hands and the fact that elections have consequences and mm-hmm. we deserve better than the likes of Doug Ford. That was the graph. And my editor took it out because he's like, it distracts from the point. And he was right. Mm-hmm. So that was a, that's why we have editors, and that's why we listen to them, because it right. was a great edit and a great point. Uh, but I, I wrote that Friday night, did a sort of brief edit on Saturday, came out on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't have my vacation Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because it got uh, bombarded. It got hot. A lot of play. Yeah. You did something. But I think so, you put but, into words what we were all feeling, though. Well, that's what yeah. it was. That that was exactly what it was. And yes. you know, I, I just wrote a piece for the Canadian Dimension, my first the other day, and and I was about writing as a collective act, as political writing as a collective act. And you know, one of the things I was saying is you know, column writing has a couple of functions. One of them is to try to convince people of what you believe, mm-hmm. and and another one is to take what we're all feeling and put it into words. And right. that's exactly what that was. The, I could have just written the headline. You didn't even need <laughs> the column. It was, yeah. The headline did the work. Yeah. The rest of it was just justifying what we all knew to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it was basically just a list of citations. And so that, that was what picked it up. And I knew, I knew it was going to get – sometimes you know when someone's going to be successful and mm-hmm. sometimes you don't. This time I knew that it would. And I was playing World War Z with my, my friend. And having a beer, <laughs> and I saw I saw that the piece had gone up. I we were in between rounds. I posted on Twitter, and then I went. We went and did another round, and I said I, I checked back after. I said to him, I'm "Like, oh boy, it's like it's out there." I thought it would be popular, but I did not think it was going to do what it did so mm-hmm. fast. And I was like, "Well, okay, here we go." Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but then I walked away because I got kind of overwhelmed by the number of I, because of the way my brain works. I feel bad if I don't read all my notifications, mm-hmm. and I want to respond to all of them because I just sort of feel duty bound to reply to people. Mm-hmm. And it's respectful. Uh, I, but then I get anxious and overwhelmed. And I mean, for instance, Douglas, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit slow on the DMs. Sometimes that's okay. I don't know. And I, but so I, I walked away. You were busy. But so I walked away from, I, was, I can't, I just cannot process all of this. And I, and I said to my friend, I was like, I'm just, let's just play because I cannot do this. And then uh, it got so bad that I just didn't even answer my emails because uh, there were just so many, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, I said yes to a little bit of media, but after that I was like, I just, cause I wanted to push the message, but I just 
it was overwhelming. Well, I think that was actually smart. I mean, I have a background in, in public relations, and I think that was actually smart because you made it a little, you know, you give the audience, but the people what they want, but you let the message, the editorial, sit there and speak for itself. Yeah, and, and I, I think, think I shared it. Ultimately, it was more powerful that way. I think, and I shared it once. <laughs> you know, usually I boosted a couple of my, my stuff a few times and you, you get a couple of retweets, a couple of likes. And I was mm-hmm. like, nah, I'm just going to, you know, I, I, I shared it once and I left for, I don't know how long, a week, 10 days. And then before I shared it again, I didn't share it too, too much because it was just out there. Right. It was like, it doesn't need to be. But but a lot of the response was was positive and some of it was kind of irritating and pissy i mean i mm-hmm. got the people who just disagreed with it and that was fine that's gonna happen mm-hmm. then there was like weird media commentary from from some folks about like why is the washington post doing this and you know who's the washington post to say this or what you know and my thing was always like guys it's just me going to work yeah. you know how the internet works right i work for the global <laughs> opinion section of an american newspaper that covers canada because eyeballs cross borders and you're allowed yeah. to have the internet in different countries yeah. and and maybe we in canada tend to be parochial mm-hmm. but other countries like to publish stuff about other people especially if it gets clicks and especially mm-hmm. if your neighbors and so uh, i was a little bit irritated by some of the sort of media response and because i don't i'm not a huge fan of the media space in canada for lots of different reasons mm-hmm. it's it's kind of provincial parochial petty full of, of minor silly grievances and it's and very white too so white and it, it's changing a little bit i mean i, I do think that the push uh, pushback is happening and, and mm-hmm. new folks taking up those spaces and and they're the folks i like to read and to boost and you know look at look at tanya talaga in uh who recently got a column uh fatima uh syed mm-hmm. who's got a, mm-hmm. a podcast and who's an absolute rock star who's that crush i i, I tend not I, I don't usually like to name people because i always forget people and feel bad yes mm-hmm. but <laughs> but uh but so, I, so with that caveat, uh, just you're going to have a trouble. You're going to have a big hard time when you're going to be receiving those press awards. <laughs> I better start working on that thing speech. Is I really, That's all I'm saying. I really, <laughs> I also really hate awards unless <laughs> it's people like giving me money. Right. <laughs> so I don't, like if someone wants to just send me money, that's fine. But the, but the, I don't I don't particularly want to be a part of award culture mm-hmm. uh when, when i wrote the book i had to apply to a bunch of them it's just because that's what you do right but i didn't want to and i didn't it wasn't something i was comfortable with and and will ever wherever be comfortable with mm-hmm. it's just it's not for me it's for some people and i think mm-hmm. there's a lot of good recognition of a lot of great work and i would never take that away for anybody but it's just not for me and uh, so uh Hopefully, I'll never have to give one of those speeches. And but but, <laughs> but I do think it. the space is changing, and that's great news. But there's just so many stupid, petty grievances in the Canadian media space, and so many stupid, old, mediocre white guys yep. writing the same column over and over again. My dear colleagues, and I, I just like, uh, I don't think they could in a foot race catch any or or, or most of the columnists who are coming out and doing this work now. Agreed. Mm. Um, before we get to the rapid fire question, I have uh, two important questions. And uh, one is one I've been wanting to ask you right from the beginning, uh, but we just got going. Uh, so 
the segue is going to be a little weird, but (laughs) (laughs) the fallout, uh, you know, from your article uh, brought Doug Ford out again. And, uh, you know, we got a certain performance. And I guess Mm -hmm. I would like our... Our, you to tell our listeners what you thought about it, but specifically, like in a nutshell, why did you make Doug Ford cry? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess uh, at heart I'm just a bully. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when you put that tweet back up. You said you know you only regret that you weren't mean enough. Mm. Yeah, I, I did. I did regret that. I did, and uh, because I, I did not see true remorse no, i believe no. in redemption i believe in forgiveness but if it doesn't come with true remorse and change then through action then it's not real and so i, I just uh, I, I didn't accept the apology i think is one of the things i tweeted like i do not accept this apology it's bull yeah i'll accept Agreed. it when we have a sufficient paid sick day program we have better vaccine rollout mm-hmm. when we have protection of essential workers etc 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 and and you know we had a little bit of that there were some improvements in the aftermath but not not enough and not no. fast enough and no. now he's just spending all his time hammering on this border nonsense which is a load of crap to begin with. so i don't believe you know he's just full of shit and yeah. and i so i have some i have a few principles by which i operate one rule number one is do not punch down never mm-hmm. don't punch down Rule number two is um, bully the bullies. Mm-hmm. And rule number three is don't believe in proportional responses. I mm-hmm. do not believe in proportional responses mm-hmm. when it comes to bullies. Mm-hmm. I want to have exponentially more aggressive and devastating responses to these people, uh, mm-hmm. powerful bullies, because it's the only way to shut them down. Mm-hmm. And so they that's why I regretted that I wasn't meaner. Uh, it's Although doubtful though they won't learn would have been distracting so i don't know but it, well i don't know they, they won't learn anything from it but we might be able to like you said shut them down yeah and i mean yeah, the man I, is just a yeah. he's he's a, a a damaging people every day and doesn't care his whole i'm going to come up with the best sick leave policy in north america <laughs> is a joke the harshest lockdowns the best sick leave in north america shut the borders cuz like I, it's just and I don't know, I, I like, I, I don't know his psychology. I, mm-hmm. I know he doesn't know how to use a laptop. I know mm-hmm. he likes burner blackberries or whatever mm-hmm. they are. Uh, you know, I don't know what his ideology is. Uh, you know, I don't know if he is just sort of going along. I don't, he, he wants to control things. Mm-hmm. He wants to control people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think there's a lot of coherent ideology there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also think he's fundamentally unfit to be the premier, that he was Agreed. unfit before he won. And he's even more, I mean, as I said in the in the piece, that was, you know, he was always unfit. The pandemic didn't reveal that. It just uh, bathed it in, in the garish light of emergency was the, was the line from the. I'm, I'm I'm glad you said that because I had it typed up here and I was gonna I was gonna throw it in. So I'm glad it came from That's it though, right? Like we knew. Right. Yep. I mean, some people didn't. Some people thought he'd be fine or not much of a threat. I thought he would be a huge threat. I wrote about it at mm-hmm. the time, yeah. and I because I was moving back to Ontario around that time, and I was like, "This is a huge problem, folks." And I, he never fooled me. He didn't fool a lot of yeah. people. 
And I we know. saw, and this is why, you know, I saw someone, I don't know who or I'd cite them, but someone on Twitter said something like, this is why every time there's an election, you should assume that person is going to be managing a pandemic and vote accordingly. Yes. Yeah. 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 You're right. And this seems like a good time for a commercial. We'll be right back after the break. Hey there, Mr. Grizzly. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing really good. Hey, have you heard about the Miss V Mysteries yet? No, I don't believe I have. Oh, well, then you really need to. The Miss V Mysteries is an LGBTQ plus cozy mystery series written by Delilah Knight. Miss V is 60, trans, and obsessed with all things 50s. From her kitten heels to her chic bob, Miss V is a lady through and through. When her late aunt's lawyer is found murdered and clutching V's favorite Chanel jacket, she is immediately arrested. Can she find the real killer before local law puts her away for good? Will she be forced to trade 50s rock and roll for jailhouse blues? Do prisons even have a happy hour? I don't know about that. Oh, I sure hope they do. Oh, goodness, yes. Must be happy at least one hour a day in there. (laughs) (sighs) Miss Fee and the Lettuce Lawyer is the first book in a humorous, cozy mystery series from Bi Ace author Delilah Knight. On sale now wherever ebooks are sold, paperback copies are also available. Or call your local library and ask them to get it in. Signed copies available at www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. That's www.corvidmoonpublishing.com. The Miss Fee Mysteries by Delilah Knight. Get it. You're yeah, it, it's, right. it, it's funny you, you say that because I'm, I, I, I'm watching Ford and I'm watching Kenny and, and I have like the only words in my head are glub glub. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just, I, it's drowning and flailing and try this and try, and it's like, just stop trying things. Make the tough call. And that's they're, yeah, they're that's not what we were to. elected for, right? Because it wasn't for. like there weren't best practices. It wasn't like there weren't. And this, we could, we could have you know critiques of the federal government uh, like this too. I mean, this is not just mm-hmm. provincial. I think the bulk of the failures are provincial. Yes, but yes. I do think there's plenty of criticism for the federal government. I, I've been called "quote unquote" truanon a lot lately. Thanks, Jake Tapper, for that. Oh, I know. Just gem dumb. of a total piece of Paul this shit. I, yeah. I will never forgive Jake Tapper for that stupid thing. Uh, but I've been right called that a lot that lately. I'm like, just Google me you, or, or read the last. I, I'm as critical of the liberals as anyone. I'm just not a, I'm just not damaged to the point where I want to go out of my way to criticize them for sport. Mm-hmm. In fact, I wish I could do the same thing with Ford, but everything he does is bad. Yeah, um, he, he just creates it, his own mess that it's easy enough to, right. you know. Exactly. exactly. I was like, I, I, w- I wish I could. I wish I could say nice things because that would mean there'd be nice things happening. Putting that I could comment on, and people would be better off. But there aren't. But federally, there's lots of criticism to go around too. But mm-hmm. I do think the bulk of the of the of the responsibility fell to the provinces. The bulk of the failures were provincial. And uh, I, I will say this in the in the interest of fairness, John Horgan in, in BC has escaped a lot of the criticism that Kenny and and Ford have. So is Legault in mm-hmm. And it's stunning to me that, that those me two too. gentlemen have been able to do that because they should be right up there alongside Ford and Kenny with other Completely agree. Uh, From BC to and, Quebec, and all seven of them. Yeah. Totally. And, and I mean, we're learning now that the CDC of, of British Columbia 
has been withholding public public health information to try to control the narrative, and that's unconscionable too. Mm-hmm. So shame on British Columbia yeah. too. I, I've got I've got no love for their response, and I'm utterly stunned that Horgan is as popular as he is right there. It's just not it's not deserved. I totally agree with you. Um, I don't like anybody. <laughs> this is a problem. I was like, this is my problem. It's like I don't. I just don't like. I like my friends, mm-hmm. and I, I don't. I don't like anybody really. I, I try to be nice because it's nice to be nice, and I don't like conflict, believe right. it or not. Right. But I just. I just really don't like anybody right now. Well, Le so, so here's here's something. Like you guys. Oh, well, thanks. It's nice to know. Here, here's something I need to read to you, gentlemen. From uh, it was a. A member of parliament tweeted this on Thursday evening. Mm. You may have already seen this. And what this member, I'm not going to say the member. I'm just, I'm going to read the tweet. And the member said, you know what I've learned regular people hate? Governments throwing stones at each other instead of helping people. You know what they hate even more? (laughs) Paid attack ads in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. How about instead we work together to keep Canadians safe and get to the other side of this? I was uh, very pleasantly... Uh, surprised to see that Uh, and I was happy to see it because it's like there's a real human being who Mm -hmm. is just as fed up with this uh, uh, constant muckraking it's like Justin Trudeau lives in Aaron O'Toole's head rent free because that's all he ever talks about Mm -hmm. and none of these uh, none of the conservative members of parliament for the most part are actually talking about policy or how to make a change or what they're going to do all they ever do is complain about the the prime minister i'm like that's not that's not doing any good for anyone it's damaging the whole system and it is, it's, it's, you know i'm fed up with it yeah it's frustrating to me too because uh, i i want partisanship i actually support partisanship mm-hmm. it's hard to be a a socialist and not it's certainly hard to be a proportional representation supporter and not support partisanship right yeah. I don't support toxic partisanship or stupid partisanship, and and there are yeah. moments where I'm like I'm glad that we have X, Y, or Z doing A, B, or C. And you know, I remember you know committee meetings watching Lisa Raitt and thinking mm-hmm. I'm actually really glad Lisa Raitt is in that mm-hmm. chair right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. holding the government to account. Yeah. We'd be yes. better with her there than we are without her there. Yeah. And now I'm watching you know criticism of C10 from the conservatives. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of uh, heritage bill uh, with uh, regarding the CRTC and, and mm-hmm. internet regulation, content regulation. And I happen to oppose a lot of C10, but mm-hmm. the, and and so the conservatives do too. I'm glad they do. But then the way they do it, I'm just like, oh, it's it's so ridiculous, it's utterly ridiculous hyperbole and nonsense and vindictive and nasty. I'm like, mm-hmm. you guys make it really hard for me to to. Sort of boost the stuff you're saying, even though there are some affinities here, mm-hmm. because it's so ridiculous. And I, you know, even in some of these cases, people like me end up without a home because the NDP has been mostly useless on this bill too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's yes. just like, what do you do with this country? Uh, um, that leads me uh, into uh, what the final question before we get to our rapid fire is: is with the way that the conservatives, like you say, are, are taking the information about C10, I'm, I'm not well versed enough in C10 to know, you know, what that is. But the way that they're taking it and the way that they take everything pretty much and just we know that we're going to get a fire hose of, sorry for lack of a better word, bullshit mm-hmm. from them. Mm-hmm. The, how 
uh, how do our listeners, uh, what can we, what can they do to become better decision makers considering the fire hose of bullshit and Ooh. the forces being paid, you know, like to actually try to lead you to make a bad decision or one that's at least not one in your self-interest. Well, boy, do I have a book for you. Thank you very much. I'm so bad at <laughs> this is, I'm supposed to constantly plug my own book and I find that I either forget or I find it tacky or I want to plug someone else's book that I'm really proud of or happy about. Like my friend Amanda Watson, who has a book called The Juggling Mother, Coming Undone in the Age of Anxiety, which is a great, um, you know, if, if folks believe in Mother's Day, it's from Mother's Day time. It's a great book to get from UBC Press. Uh, but if you want to read about political decision-making, uh, that's one of the things I talk about, obviously, and and I do at the at the final in the th- final third of the book talk about a bit of a program for making better political decisions. And the first thing is you've got to want to, and that's such a stupid cliche, but it's actually it's it's necessary but not sufficient, and it's absolutely critical. Like if you don't want to make uh, more honest, rational, uh, defensible accountable political decisions then you're just probably not going to right Mm -hmm. you've got to really want it and because you're not born with the capacity to do that as this analogy i use any more than you're born with the capacity to hit a fastball you you know it's hard to hit a fastball it's hard to make good political decisions which is to say rational um you know defensible shareable consistent all that stuff and but you can so wanting to do it is step one and then of course finding the step two is uh making time and this is where we get into questions of equity and, and resources. If you don't have time, then it's very hard to do that. And that's why when we talk about doing better politics, we always have to talk about the redistribution and the sharing of material resources. And that includes time, time, money, access to services, access to sources, all that stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so that's part of it, too. Setting aside that time, having those resources. And and then uh, you know, making sure that you're reading good variety of sources rather than just going back to the same well over and over again because otherwise you'll never kick off a cognitive autopilot Mm -hmm. and that's something else you got to do is you got to kick off a cognitive autopilot and that also means sorry so would you do that like for example going to a source you wouldn't normally consider or yeah i do that all the time that's how i do it Mm -hmm. and it's sometimes it's outlets sometimes it's individuals and you don't have to agree with them you don't have to like them but this is like such a classic thing out of it's as old as John Stuart Mill, who said that you know one of his defenses of free speech was not was the right not only for someone to say something but for to be heard, mm-hmm. because it forces other people to consider what it is they believe to be true or right or good or beautiful, right? And then mm-hmm. then, then they have to grapple with that. And I like it when that happens because it does kick me off of my prejudices. And in fact, I can think of lots of times in my life where someone had said. Why don't you try reading something different? And now you might be on the left and say, well, why should I read The Economist or why should I read The Wall Street Journal or why should whatever? But I think back to when I was a 22-year-old reading First Things, the the Catholic conservative journal, Mm -hmm. and someone said, why don't you read something different that challenges your beliefs? And then it ended up having a big difference (laughs) changing my life, right? You know, if you're on the left, you have an interest in people doing this because it's going to be people on the right who are reading – I don't know, maybe it's Jacobin, maybe it's Canadian Dimension, maybe it's mm-hmm. N plus one, maybe it's current affairs, uh, you know, and, and, and actually think, oh, geez, I hadn't thought of that. Or I hadn't thought of it in that way. 
it's good and, to spend some time with people who don't think like you. It Indeed. is hugely important. And, and I, I'm not saying that you should sit there and listen to someone dehumanize you. I mean, no, no. there's a big difference no. between, you know, the the economists writing about interest rates and, and and someone there, you know, going out and saying we shouldn't have same sex marriage. Right. Or we shouldn't or, or that, you know, right. uh, mm-hmm. trans women aren't women or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I would never say to someone you should l- sit there and listen to someone question your right to exist or to dehumanize you. That's different. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about you know where we have spaces where there are genuine areas of disagreement, debate, or contention. Uh, climate is a great is a great area for that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of, of 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 real serious, rigorous debate that separates people like Seth Klein from people like Andrew Leach, both of whom I pay attention to when mm-hmm. we're talking about climate, and I learn st- uh, stuff from them. So. Or Sapora Berman, or lots of folks, right? Who I who I pay attention to, and and that's what I'm talking about. So uh, I, that's utterly uh, necessarily uh, necessary too. And and I, I would say the final thing is uh, to go, come back to an earlier point: take emotion seriously. Uh, it is telling you something. I mean, our feelings and our emotions are there to tell us something. There, it's information. And if you have a visceral reaction to something. That is a powerful bit of information that's worth sitting with. And it, it might be because you feel like something fundamental is being attacked, mm-hmm. or it might be because you're deeply prejudiced about something. Mm-hmm. And I think back to the moments when I've been ashamed or really angry or really defensive, and it's often because someone has called out a prejudice of mine. Yes. And I, I, I think back to sitting in a second-year undergraduate philosophy class and saying a word that I have, I don't think I've used since, uh, certainly not publicly mm-hmm. uh, or or purposefully. Uh, and that person turned around and said to me, someone heard me, mm-hmm. and someone turned to me and said, that word is offensive and here's why it's offensive. doesn't matter what it was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. But I, my initial reaction was, was being defensive. And then mm-hmm. I caught myself and I was like, okay, I'm I'm ashamed of myself right now. What is that telling me? And I realized, oh, I just dehumanized somebody, and that had like changed. I never, I never, I never did it again. And it, moments like that are telling you something, and and they're really powerful. And so we mm-hmm. should we should they're humbling take, seriously. Yeah, in, in the proper use of that word, right? Like yes. they really are, and and it's something we should take seriously rather than getting our backs up, which is really tough in the social media age. But mm. I really, truly think it makes you a better person when when you take it seriously. Agreed. And for instance, that's how I became friends with Mike Lake, <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. You you don't know me, and my my was like, you know what? You're right, right? And I'm certainly glad I did. And and I would say if people can dig down deep and do that, it almost always pays off. Well, and, and it does get a little bit easier as one yeah. gets older. Yeah. And I've noticed that in myself. Deeply held. Uh, ideologies that I have uh, in the last 10, 15 years literally thrown out the window and moved on and learned yep. from. And yeah, come on, I'm a privileged white man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make those mistakes. And, and I've tried to learn as much as I can. And I continue to learn on a daily basis, which I think is a good thing because life is worth learning from. I, and, and as a result, I think I've become a better person. I've definitely learned so much in just the last few years by throwing out old ideologies, old ideas, old prejudice, like you say, by somebody just humbling me. And, and, mm-hmm. and I'm happy to be humbled on a daily basis because it yep. makes me a better person. Yep. Admit you're wrong. Yes. Accept it. Do better. 
you know, fail better as as Beckett would say, and but and mm-hmm. never ever ever tweet through it. <laughs> no, don't do that. Never, you know, don't don't do it on social media and don't do the equivalent IRL. Don't tweet through it. And and tweeting through it is a great example of the impulse to do something, to fuck something up, mm-hmm. to and then to become defensive and to mm-hmm. become entrenched and to try to defend it. When what you really should do is say, "I'm sorry." I, I, was I was wrong, wrong and move on. And yeah. I'm going to learn and do better. That's Absolutely agreed. And and the the thing is, when you do that, mm. you just feel so much better about Way yourself better. too. Yeah. And people forgive you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and not people mean, forgive you. And they, they like you more. Yeah. And they like you more. Exactly. And it's it's amazing. You know, uh, Hannah Arendt is is one of the theorists I admire the most, and I go back to her work all the time, especially the human condition. And and she talks about the power of promise. And the power of forgiveness, mm-hmm. creating um, islands of security and a sea of insecurity, something like mm-hmm. that. And this idea is that, like, we have the power to release other people from these obligations or from these failures that will otherwise consume them. And one of those, and, and two of those components are promise and forgiveness. You know, you've, that means you've got a promise to do better, mm-hmm. and the person's on offer you forgiveness, and everybody ends up better off. Yes. And if we could do that more often we would all be better off. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I, those are two important principles for me. I concur. Yeah. All right, rapid fire questions. <clears throat> Title of a book you would never write. Oh, so I just like, this is one of these things where I just respond really quickly. Yep. I, that's sort of implicit in the name. You can tell that he's <laughs> wearing on. Uh, okay, so I sorry, okay. Okay, title uh, starting, of a book. Starting you, now. Title of a book you'd never write. Oof. Um, my my year without bourbon. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I yeah. almost included that in the question. <laughs> I don't have a book you'd write but would never dare publish. Um, oh, but would never dare publish. Oof. Um, oof. That's a challenging <laughs> one, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> uh, my year with bourbon. <laughs> oh, there's a book I want to read. <laughs> uh, what feeds your optimism? Um, uh, resistance. People in the streets, especially young uh, and mm-hmm. new folks. Yes. Mm, the kids are all right. The climate march. Yes, that? absolutely. That was, that was one of those moments where I was like, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Your happy place. Uh, Las Vegas. Ooh, yes, really? Adult okay, Disneyland. Yeah, I can't, I can't explain it or defend it. Don't even ask me to try, but yeah. Okay. No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Uh, your wish for the universe. Uh, can I be cliched? Yeah. Sure. Satisfaction. I would like everybody to be satisfied with their lives. That would mm. be so nice. Yeah. That would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Your biggest non-politics-related passion? Video games. Nanaimo bars or butter tarts? <laughs> There's just uh, no choice raisins, to be made. <laughs> raisins are not raisins. Mm. Oh, for me, it has to be raisins, but that's up to you. Is the Nanaimo bar the golden ratio? Or is it one of those like monster? The, golden, the, golden, the best of both. I think when I was younger, I would have said Nanaimo bars. I think now that I'm a little bit older, uh, I'm going to go with 
butter tarts with raisins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a it's, difficult it's decision. Older though. In my younger days, it would have been enamel bars with a bullet, but it's a difficult I, decision. Uh, that was the one originally I was going to have as bourbon or scotch. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, you know, we want to hear the most pretentious, silly thing that 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 I've ever done that I'm currently doing now, but that is is utterly delightful. <laughs> I'm taking a, a, a whiskey sommelier course. Oh, nice. and it's just like one of those pandemic things that I was doing because I genuinely, it's not like a pretentious thing. I don't want to be a whiskey snob. The best whiskey is the whiskey you like or the yes. one that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. People like what they like, but I wanted to learn more about it. And so I'm doing this thing and it's got different stages. I'm in the theoretical one. And then later you do tasting and uh, it's a fairly new thing, but you can choose the, the scotch root or the bourbon root. And I was really torn. I chose the scotch root with the intention of later doing the bourbon one. But I have to tell you, like, I think I think I actually prefer bourbon to scotch. Mm. And uh, I have a hard time accepting that. But I think that's I think that's true. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a whiskey man myself. Uh, uh, Irish whiskey. Uh, there's a, one particular one that I particularly love, Slain, which you can't get in Canada yet. But I had it when I was at the... Uh, Slane Castle, and we did a distillery tour there, oh. and uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And and there's a number of single malts that I love as well. But uh, I'm pretty big on Canadian rye whiskeys as well. Have you had the Dillons? No, uh, not yet. It's, it's very very good. Canadi- Canadians are are uh, we're, we're getting our, our our shit together when it comes to <clears throat> to um, yep. both like single malts and of course with rye. And and I'm I, I'm I, I'm hopeful. And and uh, the. Uh, my favorite beer is Innocent Gun, probably, and Without there's a doubt. an Innocent Gun whiskey cask that's Irish Ooh. whiskey cask, mm-hmm. and it's very, very, it's a stout. It's very, 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 very good. I highly recommend it. I haven't and, had that uh, yet. It, it's, you got to give it a shot. And I will, I will add a sort of like uh, addenda to my uh, addendum to my answer of the happy place. My <laughs> second happy place, because I'm going to give myself two, it <laughs> might be the Hakushu Distillery in japan i've been to japan twice i i i lived in korea for a couple of years i felt 18 months i fell in love with korea later mm-hmm. i visited japan I fell in love with japan so there are two countries i absolutely adore and both times i've been to japan i went to the Hakushu distillery and it's in the japanese alps mm-hmm. and it feels okay. a bit like a james bond villain oh, hideout cool. thing but it's <laughs> so beautiful and i i remember walking through the distillery on the tour and uh, that smell of fermenting whiskey and and just watching the barrels stacked in this dark room, and it, it is a deeply soothing place. So I, I'm giving myself a 1.5 because the Hakushu Distillery in in Japan is also absolutely stunning. I haven't been to Japan yet, but it's it's on the list of of places to visit in the next couple Ooh. of years. Drink the whiskey, mm-hmm. Japanese whiskey. I, you know, I think I might even when it comes to like, I think Japanese whiskey is quickly becoming one of my mm-hmm. favorites too. And and I've never had a bad one. And the, and the Hakushu is, is just one of the best whiskeys I've ever had. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, uh, the Suntory the comes from the, the folks who, who, who birthed Suntory distilleries went to Scotland to learn and sort of brought it back to Japan. And I think they might, in the long run, actually, I don't want to get myself canceled. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Scotch will never be defeated. There you go. There no you go. further questions on Scotch. <laughs> and I think that's a good point to end. Um, Did I ruin this, any of the fast? The, the no, fire? no, not at no, all. No, 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 no. This was great. This was absolutely fantastic. This is why we do it. This is why we do it. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I just do what I want and I, I ruin things. No, no. <laughs> okay. we're, we're pretty chill. This, 
We're pretty chill. We, we, we love this. Uh, so, uh, listeners, thank you very much, Kits, uh, for tuning in to our interview with David Moskov, uh, columnist for the Washington Post, host of the podcast Open to Debate, and author of the book, because he won't plug it, we will, Too Dumb for Democracy, Why We Make mm-hmm. Bad Political Decisions, and How We Can Make Better Ones. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks Absolutely. A lot. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, eh? Always. Bye. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.